This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to Science Friction. This is Natasha Mitchell joining you from Wurundjeri country. You act like it's no trouble to shoot us in the back. You act like it's no trouble to put a chokehold on us while we scream, I can't breathe 11 times. The galvanising words of civil rights activist Elle Sharpton, founder of the National Action Network in the US, speaking there in 2020 to the thousands who rallied at the Get Your Knee Off Our Necks march after George Floyd's murder from a knee to the neck by a Minneapolis policeman. Today on the show, how the world's plant biologists collided with the global push for racial justice and what it could mean for the future of science. Reporter Anna Saleh is joining me with a story from a reckoning that is ricocheting right around the world. Hey, Anna. Hi, Natasha. Yes, and the story starts with a really big event on the calendar for plant scientists, the International Congress on Plant Molecular Biology. Which they like to call IPMB for short. And it's where thousands of scientists catch up to talk about their research into what makes plants tick. You know, everything from plant genetics to plant biochemistry. And of course, given how we all rely on plants for our survival, this is science that really matters. It's really relevant to our lives. It sure is. And so there's been heaps of planning. The event was due to be held in Cairns this October. Things were really ramping up. And the conference chair, Professor Josh Milne from Curtin University, was getting excited about the range of speakers already on board. We had the best gender balance I've ever seen for a conference, particularly a big conference. There was young scientists. Most conferences are dominated by professors. This was shaping up to be one of the most diverse conferences in the history of the Congress, both in terms of the people. We have people from, now I say all over the world, you can't have everyone from all over the world, right? But we thought we had a pretty good distribution. And it was diverse in terms of ideas too. We had scientific diversity, so we had everything from really applied stuff down to really fine stuff, really chemical stuff to really physical stuff. We had mathematical things, you know, we had the full panoply of science as applied to plant biology. For Josh, a relatively new associate professor at the time, still trying to make his name in the international arena, planning the conference was a huge personal opportunity too. I was in WA, isolated, I've got a family and stuff, can't travel. So conference organisation is a good way to network without actually having to get on a plane and go to conferences. So I did it to connect with people. And as the conference program took shape, Josh wanted to create a buzz on Twitter to encourage more scientists to register. But one tweet was about to set off a tsunami. He created a graphic to send out on social media. So every time somebody accepted a speaking slot or a chair, I'd get a picture of them. And I started putting it together in a collage. So a collage of faces of confirmed speakers began to grow. We ended up actually using it to entice people to come. So as a way of actually getting people to say, oh, yeah, I'll come. Because they go, oh, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Oh, this is great. I'll come along as well. The collage featured people from different backgrounds. And before Josh sent it out publicly, he shared it with various colleagues around the world. 
that poster went around to hundreds of people. Like, I don't know how many more people we could have sent that around to. I don't know if we could have consulted much more widely. No one said anything negative. I actually have 43 comments that I saved all the emails. <laughs> they were all positive, all fantastic. Love this. That looks great. Wow, wow. You know, lots of positive stuff. But then he tweeted the poster of Faces from the official conference Twitter account. And to his surprise... Some people started saying that it wasn't appropriate. They weren't happy with what they saw. There was a few people saying there were no Latin Americans and the Twitter community actually started correcting them, saying, well, actually, this person is and that person is, and they started listing them. And I did one tweet, right, where I said, oh, and and this person, because they'd forgotten somebody else who was also a Latin American. One afternoon, as Josh cycled home from work, his phone pinged. Wheeling his bike into the garage, he checked Twitter. An African science communicator by the name of Patricia Nanteza from an agricultural biotechnology advocacy group had tweeted, international and no Africans, rolling eyes emoticon. Josh was taken aback. When the reaction sort of kicked off, I was totally blindsided. We'd worked so hard to get it to be something that people would travel to that tried to represent all of those things that diversity can be. Now, conversations on Twitter are short and sharp at the best of times, and that can trigger all sorts of misunderstandings. Josh knew there was an African on the poster he'd tweeted, and so in the moment, he hastily replied. And I tweeted, walking into the garage, went, oh, look harder, tweet, and gave them a link to an African who's not just a chair, but also on the board. Look harder was his two-word response. Now, Josh meant it as a point of clarification, but instead, these two small words set off a chain of events that would have huge ramifications. Followers of the Congress on Twitter, especially African-Americans and other people of colour, were angry at what they perceived to be a disrespectful tone. The problem is we had to look real hard. One from Africa. (laughs) Inclusive, this is not. Australia. My God. What a joke. And your tokenism. Gustavo McIntosh is president-elect of the American Society of Plant Biologists. The society's staff were involved in conference logistics, but not in shaping the speaker program. Gustavo was also offended by the tone of Josh's tweet. It was extremely inappropriate. It's a representation of racism, right? And I really don't want to use this word because I'm making a judgment on somebody I don't even know. But the problem is, that's the message that was given. And so the best word I can use to describe this is inappropriate because I don't want to put intent. When Gustavo picked up on the Twitter exchanges, especially those involving his society's members, he had concerns. Then he was alerted to an email that the Congress leadership had privately sent one of its Twitter critics. Gustavo says the email gave the impression that it was up to people of colour to fix the problem with the diversity of speakers. After that, there were more private communications that maintain a a tone that wasn't appropriate. Again, it's not understanding the problem and, and compounding the problem by just keeping the same attitude that is aggressive towards a person of color. So I can only talk about perception. This is how people perceive the communication. It's the person that did it. Trying to be aggressive, I don't know. Josh says he never intended to cause offence, but knows that his response went down like a lead balloon. Obviously completely atonal, but read as being really rude 
and people got really upset about that. Scientists from marginalised groups know just how hard it is to get a spot on a conference stage. And so Josh's tweet pointing to a lone African speaker raised questions about whether the conference was trying hard enough. Was the conference leadership diverse enough? Were they making it affordable for low-income African and South American countries to attend? Were people of colour actively being prioritised over white speakers? Gustavo says Josh could have responded very differently to the criticism. For example, with something like... Thank you for bringing this up to us. And we welcome suggestions from the community. And I don't know, I'm making all this up, right? But And we'll ask the chair of each session to pay particular attention to places that are not represented yet. And then you acknowledge the problem. You said, I'm trying to do the best I can. And if you have suggestions, give them to me. You don't get defensive because somebody pointed at something you did wrong. By correcting the critics on a technicality rather than grasping their underlying concerns, Josh's tweet telling people to look harder appeared to shut down a dialogue about diversity. And then he went a step further. He removed the tweet that had caused offence. I deleted it, but that apparently is even worse. Obviously not being a social media expert, apparently deleting a tweet is bad. Now, people have different views on whether deleting an offending tweet is a bad move or not, but it can be construed as censoring criticism. Either way, things were now so uncomfortable between the Australian and American organisers of the conference, a mediator was called in. I was brought in as an impartial person because we didn't have any direct involvement in this conference. Enter Professor Ros Gledo from Monash University. She heads up the Global Plant Council, which is independent of the IPMB Congress. So many of our members would be going, but we were not direct sponsors. We were not running any symposia. We were promoting it, of course, because we always promote conferences in the plant science that are important. In fact, Roz had happily retweeted Josh's poster of faces. I always just retweet posters for conferences, especially something as major as IPMB. So my focus has always been to look at the gender diversity as a woman who's come up through science at a time where I would go to entire conferences and there would not be a single female keynote speaker. Or I went to one conference where there was no chairs and no speakers who were females. Hard to believe, but this is only about 10 years ago. But when she first saw the poster of faces from Josh, she was encouraged. So my first reaction was just to count the number of males and females on the poster. And it's really very, very good gender diversity. So I was really pleased with that. And they weren't all white and there was a reasonable representation from Asia. So I just eyeballed that and thought, yeah, that's fine, you know. But I was alerted to the lack of diversity through one of the board members on the Global Plant Council from South America. But we all noticed different things. So as I started looking around, because it's not my conference, so I hadn't really looked in great depth, I noticed there was no acknowledgement of country on the website. And I thought, hang on, you can't have a conference in Australia and not have an acknowledgement of country. So I uh, called the Australian chair as a conference and he said, look, you know, it, it fixed that, which he did. He worked with traditional custodians in the area to get a decent statement of acknowledgement of country, which was great. But others started highlighting other areas of diversity and I didn't really follow it that closely because I was pretty busy with other things. It led to some unhelpful responses on Twitter. But what did she think of the look harder tweet from Josh? 
I think these things come from when you've worked very, very hard on something for a long time and you've got a really good program together. You actually think you've covered everything. Then you haven't. Your first reaction is always going to be defensive. Ros was part of a group of respected elders in the plant science community who met with the organisations involved in the Congress to develop a way forward. Formal apologies to those offended were issued And for its part, the Congress team said it was sorry for its poorly conceived responses and failure to adequately include underrepresented groups. And it set out a plan for how it would improve this in the future. But by this stage, the damage had already been done. On February 10, the American Society of Plant Biologists, which had been under pressure from members to take action, withdrew support for the conference. In a statement, it cited its obligations to advocate for, quote, members from groups that have been historically marginalised. And not long after that, after so many months of planning and organisation, in a cloud of controversy, the Congress was postponed. Now, Josh says a major reason for deferring the event was COVID-19 making travel hard, but he says the fallout from his tweet clearly didn't help matters. Here's Gustavo McIntosh from the American Society of Plant Biologists on why they pulled out. We had absolutely no problem with the diversity or lack of diversity of the initial list of speakers. I think that the criticism could have been valid or not, but independent of whether it was valid or not. The problem that we have was what happened afterwards. The communication of IPMB, both public and private, with the people that had made those criticisms, right? So this exchange violated our code of conduct and our values of how we treat members and how we want to create an inclusive society for plant biology. And that was the problem, not the diversity of the speaker list. We're going to stand up. Every black person in the United States is going to stand up. In 2020, the shocking murder of George Floyd by white policeman Derek Chauvin brought the Black Lives Matter movement to the world's attention. Angry, grief-stricken protests over racial injustice found a global momentum. And it's made all sorts of communities and professions, including science, confront their own systemic racism and lack of cultural diversity. You must stand, you must fight, but not with violence and chaos. With self-love, learn to love yourself, black people. To some, movements like Black Lives Matter can feel specific to America and its horrific history of slavery. But it's relevant to Australia too, says Lisa Anise, CEO of Diversity Council Australia. It's just that we're not used to talking about race and racism in the same way. In Australia, we have a very complex relationship with racial language because we don't actually use it. In the 1970s, when there was a conscious effort by the Whitlam government to move away from race-based terminology because of the shame associated with the white Australia policy, we actually removed race 
from the way we collected data. We've raised generations of Australians without race-based language and without an understanding of how to have conversations about race. But science is global, as is the movement for racial justice. So can an international scientific conference ignore what is a growing social revolution? Flash forward to where we are now, people are connected globally. We've had a global movement on racial justice. Terms like people of colour have become more commonplace amongst, especially amongst younger people who are globally connected and might be left-leaning politically. And it's really hard to import that language without a context and an understanding, a shared understanding within Australia of what that might mean. Josh Milne and colleagues believe they were creating a diverse conference for the Australian context. Women scientists, Asian scientists, younger scientists. But a vocal international community sensitised to the Black Lives Matter movement and its wider implications didn't agree. Lisa Anise. So there's no question that if you are the darker your skin tone, your hair, your hair texture, if that varies, your physical other phenotype attributes, if you have an African or Middle Eastern name, if you have an accent, all of those things put you in a group that experiences much more significant forms of marginalisation, exclusion. And the passion that activists and advocates who want to eliminate racism have is based on the the anger they feel at that level of exclusion for those groups. Scientific conferences and journals are notoriously dominated by white, English-speaking researchers from wealthy countries. And that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy because exposure breeds more exposure and with it, more success. That's why who gets to speak at conferences really matters. Gustavo McIntosh from the American Society of Plant Biologists. If you don't work in some of the big schools in the, in the US or some of the big schools in England, you don't get the same type of invitations. He says making conferences more inclusive is as much about who gets to invite speakers in the first place, that it's about sharing the power. I can give you examples of fantastic researchers in Argentina and India South Africa, but they don't get invited. Why? Because other people don't know them and, and the, the old boys club don't know them. If on the conference organising committee you have people who represent different marginalised, racially marginalised groups, you'll be more successful at being able to organise a conference that represents racially marginalised groups. So it's about centering the lived experience of people in the power structure of any organising process. But change can be slow. The IPMB Congress recently opened up its membership to more countries. But despite this, conference organiser Professor Josh Milne acknowledges the session chairs in the program were dominated by people from places like the US. And this is partly down to who has the money and the scientific status. The purpose of IPMB and the reason that people are going to get on a plane and travel and you know spend better part of five, six thousand bucks or whatever to go and visit it is that they want to go and see the cutting edge science. And whether we like it or not, the countries that are doing the cutting edge science, they're rich countries. Making large scientific meetings more culturally diverse is a work in progress. And getting there may sometimes be a rocky road riddled with misunderstandings and frustration. Lisa Anise says, finding a common ground and common language to talk about the issues is an important start. 
as research by her own team has revealed. We tested the term person of colour in that research and what we found is that if we're in the United States, people know exactly what that means and in Australia people don't. So, for example, Asian Australians, only 50% of them in Australia in our research identified with that term and the other 50% said that term does not apply to me. So, when you don't have an agreed language, how do you then convene a panel of experts at a conference that are going to meet the demands of the audience who all have varying expectations? Some of those expectations are formed from global movements and global language, and other expectations are based on concepts of culture and non-English speaking background because that's the generation in which people were raised. For Josh, the whole experience has been a big learning curve. Diversity is incredibly important, obviously very sensitive about it in the States. It's going to be an increasingly important feature of meetings and the organisation in the future. But the answers are not always obvious, as he's discovered from talking to colleagues from around the world. What they think diversity is is really different and how they think we get there, also very different, and that it's really, really complex. A suggestion was made, well, what we should do is we should implement a policy going forward to select speakers based on their gender, ethnicity and country of origin or something like that. And the Germans just went, well, if you do that, I'm out. Remember the last time in Germany somebody was selected based on ethnicity. We are not touching that one with a barge pole. We will be out. And in France as well, it's illegal to ask questions about somebody's ethnicity. Whereas in other countries, totally fine. Tick a box. What's your race? And I guess everybody has their own lens for what diversity is. And diversity is about more than the colour of your skin. Lisa Anise. The interesting thing with culture and race is I think when people are making judgments about whether something is diverse enough, what they're really saying is I'm looking for visible difference. And I suppose what I'm saying is that visible difference in phenotype is one aspect of a culturally and racially diverse group, but not the only aspect. So when Josh Milne created the graphic of faces to post on social media, it only told part of the story. Using affirmative action and other measures to increase cultural and gender diversity in professions is an area of heated debate. But for Anna Maria Arabia, diversity in science is a no-brainer. She's chief executive of the Australian Academy of Science, the peak body representing professional scientific societies in Australia. There is evidence that shows that we make better decisions when we have diverse voices around a table. And there is also a moral imperative. It's the right thing to do. And activists are now on STEM's case. STEM being science, technology, engineering and maths. There are countless creative ways to challenge the status quo, like encouraging all conference speakers to take the panel pledge. You will have heard of the term manals where you've got men on panels at conferences. A panel pledge is asking anyone who's taken the pledge as a leader or as a person who is able to make a decision upon receiving that invitation that if they are underrepresented, and I'm referring to gender diversity here, they have an obligation to raise that with the organisers and try and bring about change. So it has certainly happened in gender diversity. I've not heard as many instances in cultural diversity, but we are starting to see organisations put their 
money where their mouth is or really put the STEM sector on notice. I think one of the most recent examples was the Snow Foundation's decision to withdraw funding from the University of Melbourne because of a disproportionate number of women awardees of of initiatives funded by the Snow Foundation. Anna Maria believes Australian scientists need more guidance on cultural diversity and the Academy hopes to get government funding to help here. Lisa Renice from Diversity Council Australia says people driving international scientific conferences should expect to be on notice. I think sometimes you have to recognise when you're playing in this space, you will get criticism and sometimes that criticism is fair and just and sometimes the criticism is unfair because perfection is not always simple to obtain. And I think as people are moving in the right direction, they should be recognised for doing that. I think ultimately what my hope is, is that we will look back on this meeting as a watershed. Professor Ros Gledo from the Global Plant Council. I actually feel really optimistic about the future because I think what's happened is that it's kind of just heightened everybody's awareness. What was tolerated 20 years ago is not acceptable and and it will be good for the people. It'll be good for capacity building for the discipline and it will be good for the science. It sure will. And uh, thanks to my co-producer this week, ABC Science journalist Dr Anna Saleh. Have you managed to really change the way you organise meetings or conferences to make sure they are more diverse? How'd you go? We'd love to hear your experiences. You can email Science Friction from the show's website or you can find me over on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. I'll catch you. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.